you yesterday, today, you are finding McClellan and I in a very uh, interesting position as <laughs> we, uh, we have not, run out of gas. This is not how we I are, thought this trip would go. Yeah, well, I, we were doing pretty good for a while there. We were camping in Yellowstone for a night. We uh, were up in Montana for a bit. We made breakneck time getting down here to New Mexico, and now we're out of the gas, 100 miles from Tucumcari. But I believe there is a, there might be, might be a gas station. Oh, we might have passed one a few miles back. Anyway, um, I thought it'd be nice to uh, take our minds off the trouble by recording an episode of yesterday today. Yeah, nothing, and, uh, nothing soothes me knowing that we could, we could die at any moment out in the desert alone. Like listening to some old time radio. <laughs> no better way to go. But anyway, we're out here in the in the in the wild west in the desert, and I thought it'd be nice to listen to some uh, cowboy shows, some westerns, that sort of thing. So uh, this is an episode of the Six Shooter, uh, Jimmy Stewart's radio show. It was another one of those, and I think I mentioned this before on the show, but uh, Jimmy Stewart. Great, great program, but it was just at a bad time for radio, and it only lasted the season. And I really wish it had gone on longer, because Jimmy Stewart makes a pretty good cowboy. Jimmy Stewart's so, uh, this great is, uh, you'd think You'd think he would have been ideal for a radio cowboy. Yeah. From November 15th, 1953, Escape from Smoke Falls. While this is playing, I'll make my own escape and uh, set, out for some, uh, set out for some gas on foot. McLean, hold on to force. Okay. Yeah, you know what? I'm getting a little thirsty. I think I'll drink a can of this uh, beef hash since we don't have any water. In just a moment, you'll hear James Stewart as the six shooter, only one of the many fine programs brought to you Sundays on NBC. Each Sunday, listen to the music of the NBC Symphony Orchestra broadcasting from Carnegie Hall. Hear the amusing adventures of Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy in The Marriage. And tune to the NBC Star Playhouse for the nation's greatest stars. It's a lineup of wonderful programs, all of them heard only on NBC. James Stewart as The Six Shooter. The man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl. Its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. The NBC Radio Network presents James Stewart as the six-shooter, a transcribed series of radio dramas based on the life of Britt Ponsett, the Texas Plainsman, who wandered through the Western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. Now, in just a moment, immediately following this important announcement, you'll hear Act One of The Six Shooter. A Christmas gift with a future. That's how everyone feels about a gift of United States savings bonds. Because when those bonds mature, they pay back $4 for every $3 invested. What's more, they can be held as long as 10 years beyond maturity and earn even further interest. Give a gift of United States savings bonds. Now, Act One of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart. 
expected to stay over in Smoke Falls, but when I stopped off to see old Dad Somerset and found him all crippled up with lumbago, well, I, of course, he didn't ask me to look after his stock, but I could see he sure wanted me to, so... Well, a couple of weeks later, I, he began feeling better, so I started thinking about moving on. It was nearly five o'clock in the afternoon that day. The sun just spilled over the top of Eagle Mountain when the buckboard pulled into the yard. Mr. Ponsett? Oh, evening, ma'am. Mr. Ponsett, I'm Grace Proudly. Oh, pleased to meet you, Miss Proudly. I've been meaning to come out and see how Mr. Somerset's been getting along, but I just never have a minute's free time. It's canning season, you know. Yes, ma'am. Well, Dad's feeling much better. If you'd like to talk to him, he's no, right in. No, no, just say that I asked for him. As a matter of fact, it's you I want to talk to, Mr. Ponsett. Oh? You see, I'm president of the Ladies' Aid Society of Smoke Falls. Uh-huh. We're affiliated with the church and do lots of charity work, Christmas baskets and things like that, you know. All the best ladies in town are members, and we don't just take in everybody either. Well, now, I... Now, this I... is what I'm getting at, Mr. Ponson. Tonight's our box supper and square dance. It's an annual event. Mr. Simpling always loans us his barn for the occasion. I've spent the whole afternoon helping with the decorations. Now, Polly Sullivan, that's Wade Sullivan's wife, she's chairman of the decorating committee, but since I'm president, I felt it was my duty to give her a hand. That's what made me so late coming out here to ask you. To ask me? Uh... About attending the supper. Oh, oh. Now, well, I'm not going to take no for an answer. Oh, but Miss Proudly... To tell I... you the truth, I... Well, I've already told folks you were planning to come. Oh, but you shouldn't have done that. Now, Miss after Miss... all, you're practically the first celebrity we've ever had in Smoke Falls. The auction starts at 7.30. You won't be late, will you, Mr. Ponson? Oh, but And Miss... one more thing. Would you mind wearing your gun? The men folks are especially interested in that. Get up, Sheba. Come on, Sullivan. Oh, come but... Uh, wait a... 7.30! Wait a minute, Miss Proudly... Uh... Say there, Miss Proudly. Oh, dear. Well, after I gave Dad his supper, I washed my face and wet down my hair and started off for old man Simpling's barn. When I got there, Miss Proudly met me at the door and introduced me around... The only name that sank in was her daughter, Ellen. Pretty girl. I figured that when the box supper sheet pack was put up for sale, the bidding would be mighty serious. All right, everybody, we're ready to begin the auction. We don't want the music now, Wilbur. Wilbur! Now just gather around the table here so you can get a good look at what you're buying. But remember, you can't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> now, which one shall we start with? Oh, my, look at this one. Pretty pink ribbon and white tissue paper. Why, I'll just bet you there's a whole fried chicken inside this box. Now, who's going to make the first bid? A dollar, 50 cents. Don't forget, gentlemen, a pretty lady's company goes with the supper. I'll give a nickel. <laughs> now, Spud Hooker, you stop joshing. You know we don't take any bid less than the court. Now, who offered a quarter just to get things underway? Look at this lovely box. Just think some nice young lady spent the whole day fixing it up. Then she'll be too tired to dance. <laughs> <laughs> Why, it cost more than that. The auction was kind of slow in picking up momentum. Oh, the 
But when Mrs. Proudly started in to make the third sale, well, there wasn't much doubt whose supper she was selling. Ellen Proudly sort of reddened in the cheeks and tried to look unconcerned. I, I saw her give somebody a glance on the other side of the room, almost like a signal. Couldn't tell who it was intended for, but there were two fellas standing over there. Spud Hooker is one, tall, husky, about 25. He'd been cracking jokes and acting sort of like he owned the place. The other boy was kind of a different sort. He's thinner, shorter. He hadn't opened his mouth since I got there. Now, let's see if you can't do a little better this time, gentlemen. Here's the next supper. Oh, boy. My, it looks familiar. Oh, I guess I shouldn't have said anything, should I? Ellen will just about murder me when I get home. Oh! Well, as long as the cat's out of the bag, I might as well go ahead with the sale. Fifty cents. Bud Hooker bid fifty cents. A supper like this ought to be worth more than half a dollar. A little bird told me there's a chocolate cake inside. Uh, uh, seventy-five cents, ma'am. I've got seventy-five. Now, what about it, Spud? You're not going to let Tom Liver it outbid you? Dollar. One dollar. I'm bid one silver dollar. Who'll give a dollar and a quarter? Dollar and a quarter. Don't forget, gentlemen, it's all for charity. Dollar and a half. Now we're getting somewhere. I'm bid a dollar and fifty cents. Spud Hooker offers a dollar and fifty cents. Are there any more bids? Two dollars. You're bidding two dollars, Tom? Yes, ma'am. Three dollars. Oh, three? That's what I said. Well, now, we all appreciate your enthusiasm, boys. But remember, this isn't the only supper you can buy. It's so the only one I'm buying, and I'll take it right... Four dollars. Huh? Well, all right, all right. Going once, going twice, and it's sold. Five dollars. Now, uh, now, Spud, are I'll you sure? Six dollars, Miss Proudly. You're oh. making a fool of yourself, Leverett. Ellen wants to eat with me. My, my bid's six dollars. Seven. Now, boys. Ten. Oh, now you don't mean that, Tom. You can't afford ten dollars. No, I mean it. Well, all right. I bid ten dollars. Are there any more bids? Going once. Going twice? Go ahead, sell it to him. It ain't going to do him no good. Now, we don't want any trouble, Spud. Ellen's my girl, and she's eating with me. I'll take that box, Miss Proudly. Here's your money. Didn't you hear what I said? She's eating with me. Get out of the way, Spud. You're not man enough to make me move. Now, give me that box, or I'll take it away from you. Okay, Tom, you hurt me. No! <laughs> Hold on here. Just a minute here. Now, hold on. It don't concern you, Ponson. No, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't concern me. It just seems to me that there ought to be a better place for settling things. That's all. Uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Ponson's right, Spud. Let's... Well, let's go out. Hey, hey, where's Britt Ponson? Dad Thomas said he was over here. Yeah, I'm Uh, Ponson. Oh, uh, Mr. Ponson, uh, Sheriff Tinsmith told me to find you. What's the matter, Jake? Dink Falk just broke out of jail. Oh! Yeah, yes. He shot the sheriff in the back while he was getting away. Oh, he did. Well, we we took him over to Doc Foster's, and he's bleeding pretty bad. He he wants to talk to Mr. Ponson before... Well, before he... I'll get my horse. got here, Britt, before. Now, now, what are you talking about, Ray? You're going to be all right. The doc says you'll be back on your feet again inside of a week or so. I don't know what I was thinking of. Letting Dent Falk get hold of my gun while I was serving the supper. Must be... 
Must be getting careless, old age. Now, well, you're not the first man to have trouble with fog. He had a pretty fancy reputation, from what I hear. Yeah, that's that's why I had to see you, Britton. My fault. He got loose, and I I don't want other folks to pay for my mistakes. Well, what do you mean? I know this town, Brett. They'll I'll get a posse together and start after Falk. Well, that's and they'll catch him too. But going out in a crowd like that, he'll hear him coming. Falk's a wildcat killer, Brett. When he's cornered, he won't give up. Pick off three or four of the posse before they can close in. Well, not if they're careful. That's the trouble, though. Fellas here ain't cautious. They're bullheaded. But but you'd know how to take him, Brett. No, I, I ain't saying it's your duty. You don't even live in Smoke Falls, but you could capture Falk without him having a chance to... No, no, to... I'm afraid you're giving me too much credit, Ray. If I, you want somebody to go along, any of the boys... Sure, I know that, I'd but... be mighty grateful, Brett. The folks here have been good to me. Wouldn't like to leave them thinking that because of me, because of what I did, some of them was going to... No, 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 you better take it easy. I, I, Just I, I take know, it easy. I know, it's asking a lot. Falk's a good shot and a wildcat killer. It's asking... We'll return to James Stewart as the six-shooter in just a moment. Recently, the American Red Cross was called on for immediate and dramatic expansion of its part in the national blood program, was asked to make available all the gamma globulin possible for the prevention of paralysis from polio. Experiments conducted over the past two years have demonstrated the effectiveness of this treatment. It takes approximately one pint of blood to make an average dose of gamma globulin as used for polio. And one injection protects a child for a period of one to five weeks. Therefore, there is a tremendous need for blood donations now, so that we may be able to do our utmost to safeguard our children during the epidemic period next summer. At the same time, there has been no let-up in the need for blood for use overseas and for the thousands of wounded men in our military hospitals who are still fighting for a chance to live. If you are an adult, call your local Red Cross chapter right away. Get an appointment to make a donation of your blood for the National Blood Program, which aims to supply the total blood needs of the country. Join the thousands of Americans who are rolling up their sleeves. Take pride in having helped save a life. Now, Act Two of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponsett. Sheriff Tinsmith had been right about the town foreman of Posse. Hadn't lost any time. Spud Hooker was taking charge. I was kind of surprised to see that Tom Leverett was along. But I figured he and Hooker sort of joined forces for the time being. How is he, Ponset? Well, he passed out a few minutes ago. Maybe it's just as well. At least he's getting some rest. Yeah, well, we're going after Falk. The other boys are waiting behind the mercantile. Uh-huh. Uh, 
Looks like you've got quite a gang. I ain't got no objections to having you go along, too. Not that we need you, you understand. Yeah. Well, you coming? Well, I had a little talk with the sheriff just before he lost consciousness. He seemed to think that taking out a posse after Falk wasn't such a good idea. What's he want us to do, let him go scot-free? No, no. No, Sheriff Tinsmith sort of suggested maybe one or two men would have a better chance of catching him. They can make faster time, maybe sneak up on Falk unaware. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, it's okay with me. You going to be one of the boys who goes after him, Ponsett? Mm, well, I haven't exactly made up my mind. You better make it up faster. I'll take somebody else. Oh, oh, I see. Uh, well, in that case, I... Oh, 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 oh. Say, uh, your name's Leverett, isn't it? That's right, Mr. Ponsett. Tom Leverett. Mm-hmm. You want to ride along with me? Uh, what? Why, sure. Now, wait a minute here. I thought you said one or two men. Mm-hmm, I did. Well, we don't need Leverett, then. Well, I tell you, I sort of figured maybe you ought to stay in town, Hooker. So if Tom and I get in trouble, well, you could bring the posse out later. Huh? You're trying to make a fool out of me, Ponsett? No, no, I'm not. Everybody knows I'm twice the man Leverett is. I can ride better and shoot faster and I'll fight him two to one. Mm-hmm. You want the credit for catching Falk yourself, don't you? Well, it ain't going to work out that way. Come on, boy. I'll find Falk myself and I'll bring him in along. Well, Tom, let's go, huh? Fox Trail headed west, up toward Eagle Mountain. And the moon was out, sort of a half moon, but it gave us enough light so we could follow the hoof prints Fox horse had left. Along about midnight, we spotted another trail, fresher. It couldn't have been more than a couple of minutes old. It cut in from one side and then went on ahead in the same direction Falk was riding. Ah. You see that, Tom? Yeah. Looks like Spud Hooker took a shortcut. Yeah. You reckon he'll beat us to him? Oh, you never know. Never know. If he does, he might save us some grief, wouldn't he? Huh? <laughs> You're not anxious to tangle with Falk, are you, Mr. Ponson? No, no. No, I'm not anxious to tangle with anybody, Tom. But I thought, well, you brought in other outlaws before. Oh, some. Some, not as many as folks think. But uh, I've never enjoyed tangling with any of them. Why'd you pick me? Spud's right. He is twice the man I am. That's shooting, maybe. Yeah. But there's more to trailing a killer than being able to shoot. You know, lots of times it's more important for a man to know when not to shoot, you know. Huh? Yeah. Fellow's itching to pull a trigger like Spud. Well, he's, he's apt to pull it too soon. And, uh... Hey, look at that. The moon's going down. Yeah. We might as well get some shot-eye. Whoa, boy. Oscar. Oh, uh, you couldn't see the trail anyway. Spud won't be stopping for sleep. No, no, I don't suppose he will. That's another reason I picked you. I... I kind of... Figured he'd want to keep pushing on all night. Don't gonna, I... Guy, along about this time, I just get tired. Huh? <laughs> 
soon as the morning sun began gray in the sky, we started off again. Falk's trail was winding up the side of Eagle Mountain now. It was a pretty hard ride. Tom didn't complain, even though I could see he wasn't used to it. Every once in a while, he almost slid out of his saddle, but somehow he managed to hang on. About noon, we reached Little Creek, and Falk's trail gave out. The other trail, the one we figured was Hooker's, it sort of milled around in all directions and then went off on a tangent. And we climbed out from our horses and got a drink of water. Ah, it tastes good, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. You uh, ever been out this way before, Tom? Oh, yeah. Not for the last couple of years, though. Mm-hmm. Any cabins around, place a man could hide out? Well, not that I remember. You think we're getting close to him? Well, he could have gone on using the creek to cover his trail, but he'd have to stop pretty soon. Oh? Oh, yeah. A man can't keep riding forever, even Dink Falk. So far, we haven't seen any signs that he made camp, you see. That's so. Giant cave. Hmm? He might be there, Britt. It's not more than a mile away, due south. Giant cave. Well, you've heard of it, ain't you? No. Oh, I don't think I have. Well, it'd be a perfect spot for a man to hold up. Nobody knows for certain just how far back into the mountain the cave really goes. Some scientific fellows tried to explore it last summer, but, well, their lanterns gave out before they come to the end. Uh-huh. Well, it sounds like something we ought to see even a fork in there. Come on, let's go and have a look. entrance there, Britt, beside that slab of yellow rock. Uh-huh. I don't see any sign of Falk's trail. I guess he could have come up from the other side, though. Yeah, that's what he must have done. Huh? That pony over yonder. That clump of bushes grazing. Well, yeah, yeah, Sam. Easy, Scott. Easy, easy, whoa, boy. You know, Jake Watson said Falk stole a sorrow when he made his getaway. Mm-hmm. Now, we'd better close in on foot. We tethered our horses on a couple of spruce saplings and moved into the cave entrance. It wasn't a very big hole. We had to sort of bend over and crawl through it. But the room on the other side, that must have been 100 feet long, 50 feet wide. The walls were sheer rock, sort of rainbow-colored, so smooth you'd have thought somebody had been polishing them. And then the light behind us got down to a pinpoint... He wouldn't be hiding here in the dark, would he, Britt? Maybe. He heard us coming. Shh. Somebody up ahead. Yeah. You got your gun ready? Uh-huh. Now, don't use it unless you're pretty sure of hitting something. If we start shooting, it'll just help his aim. Okay. All right, now back up against the wall here behind you. Falk! We know you're in here, Falk. You go any further, you'll get lost. You'll never find your way out. Hey, you hear me, Falk? You're wasting lead. You can't see us. We know that. You can't see me, neither. We don't have to. You've got to come out sooner or later, and we'll be waiting. 
All right, we're going to leave you now, Buck. We're going outside and wait. Hey, where you are? You giving up? No, I ain't. And I ain't alone. What? I got somebody with me. Friend of yours, I reckon. We're coming out together. And if you try to stop me, I'll kill him. What's he talking about? He, he ain't lying, Brett. It, it's me, Spud Hooker. Spud. I, I caught up with him last night, but he, but he got the draw on me. Hold your fire, Britt. He means what he says. He'll kill me if you don't hold your fire. You've got to do what he told you, Britt. You've got to. All right, Bob, come on. Start backing up towards the entrance. I don't hear you moving. Britt, please. All right, let's go, Tom. We backed out into the daylight, Tom and me, and waited for them. About a minute later, Spud Hooker marched through the mouth of the cave, half scared to death. Dink Falk was right behind him, holding a forty-five aimed at the smallest Spud's back. I was pretty sure he wouldn't hesitate to pull the trigger either. Sheriff Tinsmith was right. He's just a wildcat killer. He had that stampede look in his eyes as he stood there blinking against the sun. Same kind of a look you see in a steer when the herd's shoving him along. You can't stop or be trampled to death. Hang off your guns. Both of you. Take them off or I'll fix your friend here. Falk gave Spud a shove with his gun and he jumped forward. There was an opening now between him and Falk. The next thing I knew, Tom dived forward. Get out of Spud! Tom tackled Spud and he rolled over. The bullet missed him, but Tom was in range and he took it. Falk aimed to fire again and I managed to get my gun out. The bullet hit his thigh and spun him around. Then his leg buckled and he fell face down. He hadn't let go of the pistol yet. He started to bring it up. Drop it, Falk! For a second, his finger went right on squeezing the trigger, but... No, nah, he just didn't have the strength. Tom? Tom, you all right? Uh, sure. Yeah, it's hardly bleeding. I... I should have let Falk alone. I should have let you handle him, Britt. Well, I don't know. Looks to me like Tom did most of the handling around here. I mean, if it hadn't been for him, yeah. you know, I guess I had you figured wrong, Tom. I never thought you'd be the one to save me, but... I wasn't saving you, Spud. Huh? I don't like you. I never did. And nothing's going to change that. Then why? I like Ellen. I like her a lot, but... Well, she's in love with you. If you got yourself killed, it would just hurt her and wouldn't do me no good. Ellen, tell you she's in love with me? She didn't have to. When she finds out what happened today... She ain't gonna find out. I'm gonna tell her. I'm gonna tell her myself. I don't want her to know. It's for me to decide. Now listen here, Spud Hooker. You do the listening for a chance. No, I thought you I thought you were listening last now, night, but it looks now, like... Now, 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 hold on, hold on, now. Now, I think we ought to get Tom to a doctor, don't you? And if we don't, Alan won't have no way of choosing him, even if she wanted to. Now, come on, Spud. Give me a hand. Now, we tied Falk onto the back of his pony and started off for town. I sure didn't know what Alan was going to do about Spud and Tom. 
Oh, you never know what a woman's going to do when it comes to, you know, falling in love and marrying and all that sort of thing. But I did know one thing. Uh, that, that picking Tom to go along with me, that had been a pretty good choice. Ellen probably could do a whole lot worse, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, the tradition of religious freedom and of religious worship in America goes back to the very founding of our country. So, in these days of world crisis, when our nation and all its citizens need spiritual strength and guidance, all of us should think again of what religion means to us and to our country. For it's religious faith that makes our way of life possible. During November, people of many faiths are joining in a great Religion in American Life campaign. So, whatever your faith may be, you are asked to join in this campaign. Be sure to attend and support the church or synagogue of your choice. And if you have children, by all means, light their life with faith. Bring them to worship this week. The Six Shooter is an NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions. It is based on a character created by Frank Burt, and the transcribed story is written by him. Mr. Stewart may currently be seen in the Universal International picture Thunder Bay. Others in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, Frank Gerstel, Robert Griffin, Forrest Lewis, and Sam Edwards. Special music for this program was by Basil Edwards, and the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. All characters and incidents were fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. And incidentally, a great many of our friends have written in to thank us for putting the six-shooter on the air. And a surprising number of letters have requested the name of the theme you are listening to right now, and where it might be obtained. Well, we're sorry, but it is music that has been recorded exclusively for broadcast, and is therefore not available for home use. But we are grateful, nonetheless, to all of you who have written. Your kind letters are always welcome. This is Hal Gibney speaking. Tonight, here's Celeste Holm in the NBC Star Playhouse on the NBC Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Yesterday Today. I got gas. I am filling the tank up as we speak. McLean, while I am doing that, why don't you go ahead and introduce the next show? Yeah, uh, feel free to hurry up as uh, buzzards are circling. But yeah, this next program is an episode of the well-known series, Gunsmoke, which, um, kind of like the six-shooter, was it was a series started as a lot of other shows were winding down in 1952, but ended up running into the 60s. It was one of the last popular radio programs of its kind. Um, it's kind of interesting the program transitioned almost perfectly into television and the two the television series and the radio series kind of helped each other stay popular uh... this episode here is from the first season of gunsmoke it is from november twenty ninth nineteen fifty two and it is titled simply kitty and in it uh... marshall dillon asks kitty the owner of the long branch saloon to an upcoming dance and i think it was one of my favorite episodes of the series just because I thought it was it was kind of interesting to dive deeper into like the personal relationships of the characters rather than kind of just going through the procedural bad guy 
story arc that the show uh, would often use. Um, so with that, this is the November 29th, 1952 episode of Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the story of the violence that moved west with young America, the story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. morning, Mr. Bumby. Huh? Oh, hello, Marshal. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Morning, Mr. Dillon. Morning, Sam. Is, uh, Kitty around? Oh, don't know she's up yet, but if she is, she ought to be down soon. <laughs> oh, I'll wait. Nippy this morning. Oh, feels good. It's a nice time of year. Huh? Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like spring myself. Uh, Sam... You better wash that glass over. Huh? Hmm? Oh, oh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> uh, uh, can I get you something? Beer, maybe? Uh, got any coffee? Sure. Just made a pot. Oh, I'll be fine. Her face is something wondrous. That's pretty, man. <laughs> you got a pretty voice. Oh, it is. Good enough for calling hogs, I guess. <laughs> yeah. you, you just get up? A while ago. Why? Boy, oh, it just strikes me I haven't seen you close to early like this. Uh-huh. No, no, I, I, you look fine. I, 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 mean, I mean that you... You better quit by your head. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's... Where's Sam? Oh, he's bringing in coffee. Oh, Sam, cup for me, please. Sure, Miss Kitty. What's the occasion, Matt? Uh... Kitty, um, there's a party tomorrow night, a dance. It's a benefit for the new school down at the hall, you know. <laughs> and uh, ever fellows to bring a girl, you, you know. <laughs> it happens at dances. Go on. Well, uh, what I'm trying to... Will you go uh, with me? I'd kind of like to, Matt, but no thanks. Oh. Well, I gotta work here. You know that. Besides... Well, you I... ought to be able to get off. Well, even if I could, ladies might not take kindly to it, Matt. I'm not rightly polite society. Ah, what do you care about? What the... Well, thanks anyway, Matt. Ah, that smells wonderful. Sammy, I think I'll marry you. <laughs> Me? <laughs> shucks. <laughs> Me? Oh, shucks. <laughs> But uh, listen, Kitty, about the dance, I, I've already bought the you're, tickets. You're sweet, Matt, and I 
I thank you kindly for thinking of me, but you better ask someone else. Well, it, it isn't... Sam, will, will you go and polish up your glasses, please? Hmm? Oh, sure, Mr. Dillon. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, look, Kitty, I'm asking you to go with me. It, well, it's important to me that you go. Are you making love to me, Matt? At this hour in the morning? No, no, I, I mean it. I I want you to go to the dance. You want to be embarrassed. You want everyone to stare at us. You know what they'll say? My, my, the marshal really should have better sense than to bring that woman here. It ain't decent. It ain't proper. <laughs> oh, kid. Well, it's true. I'm a hostess at the Texas Trail, a, a saloon. You know what they think about me. Well, I... Will you go, Kitty? No. I'll call by for you at seven, huh? I'll drink a bottle of whiskey and clout some old biddy on the head. Then you'll be sorry. Oh, Kitty. I haven't got anything to wear, Matt. I can't wear my working clothes. You look just fine like you are, Kitty. Just fine, just like you are. Marshal. Yeah. I shouldn't, but I guess I'll go to the dance with you. (laughs) I'll be ready at seven. How do you talk about a woman like Kitty? The color of her hair, eyes, the shape of her legs, the way she spoke, thought. Well, that's a picture you had to get by looking and hearing. Otherwise, you'd never know it. And I felt real good about taking Kitty to the party. The first time we'd really be out in company. And I liked the idea. Morning, Mr. Dillon. Good morning, Chester. Nice day. What is that? That, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, all over my desk, that. Ink. Yes, sir, I know. I was just cleaning it up, Mr. Dillon. Seems like a big blue bottle fly, last of its kind this fall, I guess. Big fool blue bottle fly was a setting on your desk, Mr. Dillon. Oh, you're slopping it all over the floor, Chester. Yes, sir, I see it. That lazy fool blue bottle fly was a stomping all over your desk, Mr. Dillon, and I took a whack at him with a paper I happened to have in my hand, and I got him. Well, thanks a lot. Well, that's all right, Mr. Dillon. If there's anything in this world I hate, it's a big maggoty blue bottle yeah, fly. Yeah, 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 I know, Chester. Uh, the mail come in yet? Yes, sir. A couple of minutes ago. It's right over there. Oh, okay. I think that should do it, Mr. Dillon. All right, Chester. Anything likely in the mail, Mr. Dillon? No, no. Uh, look, Chester, uh, we better get these government circulars posted. To... Would you do that for me? Yes, sir, I'll do that. Uh, say, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, what is it, Chester? About the dance tomorrow. Now, what about it? Well, you're going, aren't you, sir? Doc's going. He's taking Ms. McNish. I- I'm going. Everybody's going. You are going, aren't you, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, I'm going. Don't seem right, a man. You're standing not to go to a big social like we're... You are? Yes. Well, that's fine. Just fine. 
Doc and, and me, we were talking, and it just didn't seem right to us that a man like you didn't have no real nice sweet girl to escort to a big social. I got one, Chester. A real nice sweet girl. I'm taking Kitty. Miss Kitty? I asked her before I came down if she accepted. Well, that's good. Miss Kitty. Uh, that's right, Chester. Uh... I uh, got I got a couple of letters off to Washington, Chester. You you want to go and see about posting those circulars, huh? Yes, Mr. Dillon. Ah, fine. <laughs> Mr. Dillon. Oh, what is it, Chester? Well, Mr. Dillon, it it ain't none of my business, and I, I did not have no right to say it. Say what? Well, sir, I... I... Yeah? I was wondering if I might borrow one of them fancy ties off you for the party. That's not your business. That's what you haven't got any right to say. Yes, sir. No, that's... Right. You're a liar, Chester. But you can borrow a tie. I thank you kindly, Mr. Dillon. You work for a long time with a man, and you share a lot of life and a lot of death. And after a while, you, you know him even better than yourself. Well, that's the way it is with... Chester with me. Now, he had something on his mind, and I figured after a while he'd get it off. Well, the morning went, and it was almost noon when Chester came back. Gonna go have some dinner, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, I think I will. How about you? Hungry as a raggle-bone possum. <laughs> Did you get the posters up? Yes, sir. Well, okay, let's go. Uh, Mr. Dillon? Yeah. I guess there's something you ought to know, sir. There's talk. Yeah. All right, Chester, come on, get it out. It's all over town. About you taking Miss Kitty to the dance tomorrow night. What do you mean, all over town? I only asked her this morning. Yes, sir, I know. Best I can figure, Sam over at the Texas Trail must have heard you and let it slip. There's been a mighty fierce mess of gum clobbering up and down all over. All right. Uh, thanks for telling me, Chester. It ain't none of my business. Yeah, I know. You said that before. Yes, sir. I surely did. Well, let's go get something to eat. It's hard to tell about people. Maybe it's hard to tell about yourself because you come under that same heading, people. And when they're mean and small, there's not an animal to touch them. Chester and I walked down the street, and it didn't take long to hear and see what was going on. Some of the drifters leaning against the wall on the corner came right out with it. Morning, Marshal. I understand there's a Galantine's got herself a new boat. What did you say? <laughs> Maybe you ought to look into it, Marshal. Folks are being downright rude. Mister, you're going to... 
Ought to haul him in. Ever one. Yeah. What are you going to charge him with? Pestilence, Mr. Dillon. Just plain pestilence. I knew better what Kitty had meant about the ladies of the town when a couple came out of Olivet's dry goods store. They didn't see me until it was too late. I'm to the dance committee. It's indecent, that's what it is, why she's common. Nothing but a common saloon woman. What's this city coming to when a United States marshal... Morning, Miss Sprinkle. Uh. When a man's born, they, they say he's blessed or cursed with a lot of things already in him. Take pride, for instance. Sometimes pride can be a curse. Well, maybe I had more in my share. Maybe it would have been a sight kinder if I'd not taken Kitty to the dance. But I did. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first... This hint for weekend driving. Whatever you do, be moderate. Be obedient to all traffic laws. Be careful. Use your head and don't take chances. Now for the second act of Gunsmoke. I picked up Kitty at the Texas Trail at 7 the next evening. She was waiting by the side door, and when I saw her, she kind of moved back in the shadows, almost as though she was ashamed for me to see her. Hi. Hello, Matt. Are you all set? Well, I guess so. Uh, Matt, are you sure? Hey, you... Kitty, you look fine. Hey, you look just fine. <laughs> Do you like it? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. We walked along the street down to the hall, and I, I kept looking at her like, like I say, you know, you, you, you had to know this, Kitty, to understand what I mean, and even then you get a surprise. She was like a 17-year-old on her first date, and she was like all the women you'd ever known and loved, soft and innocent. And something else, something that's female, and you can't figure out what. Something that makes you drunk without a drink inside you. It was snowing a little, and the flakes caught in her hair and melted into the black of her velvet cloak. And just before we went in, I looked at her again. And I didn't care. I, I was proud she was with me. Oh, evening, Marshal Dillon. Evening, Miss Murphin. Uh, you know Miss Russell? I do. You have your tickets, Marshal Dillon? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ah, here we are. Fine. Uh, go right in, won't you? Oh, sure. Oh, uh, excuse me, Mrs. Murphy. Is there somewhere I can put my cloak? 
Oh, uh, uh, yes, yes, of course. Um, the ladies' reception room is right through there. I, I didn't catch the name. Catherine Russell, ma'am. Excuse me, ma'am. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll wait for you. Thanks. You better. I could see them through the big open doors in the hall. They were all there. Faces flushed, smiling, happy, dancing. And all the women seemed pretty and the men handsome. And Chester was up on the platform calling the dance and Doc was fiddling. And I was waiting for my dancing partner, Miss Kitty Russell. So long. I'm sorry, Matt. I had a skirmish with one of the genteel females in there. Oh, I'm sorry. What's that she? You know, I get the idea I'm not welcome around here. Uh, uh, let's go in and get some punch, huh? Sure. How are you, John? Oh, that's a nice dress, Kitty. I haven't worn it since a few years back in New Orleans. Hey, Marshal. Oh, Miss Kitty. Let's talk. Well, hiya. Oh, fine, Doc. Hello, Doc. <laughs> I say, <clears throat> say, we got a bottle of whiskey outside. You care to join it? <laughs> oh, this punch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not right now. Thank you, Doc. Oh, well, sure. Hey, Miss Kitty, I saw you come in. Best-looking woman in here. <laughs> oh, there's lots of scratching going on. <laughs> Thank you, Doc. <laughs> if you see Mrs. Magnish, don't tell her where I am, will you? Man gets kind of dry, fiddling. Oh, I'll so long. So long, Doc. Punch, Marshal Dillon? Uh, Kitty? I guess so. Uh, Mr. Sprinkle, have you met Miss Catherine Russell? Uh, no, no, I'm afraid I haven't. You got a short memory, Mr. Sprinkle. Huh? I could have swore it was you in the Texas Trail a couple of weeks back. Drunker than a hoot owl. Don't you remember I had to slap your face? Uh, I, I think... Edward? Well, I, it, Edward? Yes, dear. You let somebody else take care of the punch. I want you to come with oh, me. Oh, well, I, I, I promised. I, I'm, I'm on the committee. Even, Miss Sprinkle. I have no wish to speak to you, Marshal Dillon, or this woman you brought with you. I will not have my husband serving such people. Aren't you being a trifle bad-mannered, Miss Sprinkle? How dare you say that? Well, aren't you? I suggest that you leave, Marshal. Emmy. You're not wanted here. Not with that woman you've seen fit to bring. Come on, Matt. I want to go. No. This is a public dance, Miss Sprinkle. Right now, you're trying to make it private. If you can't behave like a lady, I'll thank you to leave this lady's presence. What? Now, see here, Marshal. You can't talk like that to my wife. Hey, Kitty! What do you say, Kitty? Hmm. Matt, please. I want to go. We're not going anywhere. We're staying. Uh, uh, how about some music? All right, all right now, folks. It'll be a walk this time. 
Thanks for the punch, Mr. Sprinkle. Come on, Kitty. I warned you, man. Now, please, will you take me out of here before something happens? Nothing's going to happen, Kitty. You and me are going to dance. Have a good time. That's all. You're acting like a kid. Matt, it won't work. I've seen this kind of thing before. May I have this dance, Miss Kitty? Please, Matt. You're being pig-headed and you know it. Let's get out. You're refusing me, Miss Kitty? Oh, Matt. We danced. But it wasn't what I hoped it would be. Kitty closed her eyes. I guess she was trying to blot it out, but... I could see the other couples looking, whispering, and one by one dropping away over into a small group that got larger. And there were only about six of us left when the wall ended. And that's when the stranger and a couple of his pals walked out onto the floor. They were drifters, probably been in town for a week. And they were having their fun before they moved on. Marshal... I got a painful duty. Yeah? Uh, folks in this town seem real upset about you bringing that mm, woman in here. What's your name? I'm just a fella. I kind of made myself and my friends here a committee of three, seeing as how everything's done by committees here. And we, <laughs> yeah, we figured it would be best if you take your... Um, Friend, home. Mister, I'm the marshal in Dodge Matt, City, and I... I'm leaving. You're staying here, Kitty. She's smarter than you, Marshal. Everything all right? Everything's fine, Chester. This ain't a matter of law, you know, Marshal. It's decency and, and what's right. Beyond Marshal, this ain't right. Mister, I'm taking this badge off. Chester, you stay here with Kitty. Matt, don't you do it. Now, come Matt. on outside. You... We're going to talk some more about this out there. Ah, it's cold outside. Now, you be a good fella and get out of where you ain't wanted. You know I won't hit you in here, don't you? Were you thinking of doing that, Marshal? Now, that ain't lawful. I ain't done nothing. Kitty. Kitty, wait. Now, now there's a gal with sense. All right, mister. No, I'm telling you. You and your pals are going to have to come out sooner or later, and when you do, you better start hightailing it out of Dodge before I catch up with you. We'll think of that. We sure will. <laughs> Marshal. Just three no-good drifters, hating the law, finding pleasure in trouble. Kitty had gone, and I went out into the street. It had stopped snowing. Just cold. Much colder. I went up to the Texas Trail. There was only two people in there. Some guy dead drunk on a table, and someone else standing at the bar looking into the mirror at me. Well, you haven't, Mr. Dillon. Nothing, sir. Yeah. Well, I, 
I got some things to do in the back. Give me a call if anyone comes in, will you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, kid. I, I'm sorry. I'm bad, bad. Oh, kitty. Oh, it's all right. Sure, it's all right. I'm so mad. I, I could... Yeah, I know. I, I should have known better. No, it, it was me, not you. No, it wasn't that either. It was all those polite ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Give me a kerchief, Yeah. Here. Mm -hmm. oh. It's been a long time since I cried. Yeah, sure. It wasn't so much for me. For you. I, want, I wanted to cry right there in the hall. Watching you and knowing there was nothing you could do. Nice mess of people we got in the Dodge. No, it's not them, Matt. It's me. I've run into this before. The only difference was I didn't have you around. I wanted it to be right tonight because of you. A lot of narrow-minded prayer spouting. Yeah. They hurt your pride, didn't they? No. No, it wasn't that. No. No, I... I wanted you to go with me. That made me real happy. But maybe we're different, Matt. You and me figure life different to them. That's not their fault. There's a lot of folks there I know. I... I smile at them on the street. They talk to me. But tonight, well, that was different. I made them uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, they didn't do a bad job with you. Oh, you can't look at it that way. And you can't go fighting the whole town, either. There's three fellas going to get hurt. No, I don't want you to do, the, do that, Matt. You just let it go. Let it go, Matt. They don't mean nothing. You know what means something to me? What? That you asked me to go to the dance with you. I knew what was going to happen, but it was worth the chance. I thank you for it, Matt. You're a funny one. Am I? <laughs> but you sure showed them up, those women. <laughs> the way you look. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> you know, you look pretty fine yourself. Sam! Yeah? Uh... You got any champagne, Sam? What? Have I got any what? Champagne. Well, yeah. I guess maybe. A bottle or two? Yeah, maybe. Sure. Well, break it out. All right. Miss Kitty? I think the next dance is mine. Oh, Matt. I'd be real pleased, Mr. Dillon.
Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Anthony Ellis, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Vivi Janis, Bob Sweeney, Lawrence Dobkin, and Mary Lansing. Parley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Don't miss Robert Trout and his timely roundup of world news tomorrow on most of these same CBS radio stations. Roy Rowan speaking. All right, folks, welcome back. We are on the road again. As I speak, we are driving through Tucumcari, New Mexico. And we are well on our way down the road, heading out towards Arizona. And so uh, I think uh, McLean, were we really supposed to make that turn back there? Uh, what do you mean? What turn? Yeah. Just hold the um, microphone steady and check the map, all right? I'm, I can't look at it right now. Yeah, yeah, let's see here. Um, okay, let's... Um, no, that's north. Um, that's not... We're in New Mexico, right? You're sure this yes, is New we're Mexico? in New Mexico. Okay. All right, I'm gonna pull over. Hold on. Yeah, uh, maybe you should take. Okay, well, well, give me that. Thing, man. Oh boy. All right. Well, where are we? Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, the last episode we have today. Okay, this is an episode of uh, Lux Radio Theater, and they are adapting the movie. Fancy Pants. Now, this stars Bob Hope, and uh, it's about a, a British actor who's pretending to be a butler. No, he's a he's a he's an actor pretending to be a British butler who ends up in an old west town. It's kind of confusing, but it's got Lucille Ball in it too. And um, anyway, it's 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 pretty good. I, I the like it. This is Fancy kind of Pants. Zany comedic offering you'd expect from Bob Hope and Lucille Ball. Yeah, McLean, we were supposed to take that turn. See right there. Uh, what turn? Um, okay, um, do you want to try navigating an all-drive, or... Yeah, here, let's switch. Yeah, here's the show. I'll get out the car. Lux presents Hollywood. Lieber Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you... The Lux Radio Theater, starring Bob Hope and Lucille Ball in Fancy Pants. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Reading from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. One of man's greatest gifts is that of laughter, particularly the talent for making other people laugh. Tonight, as our stars, we are fortunate enough to have two clowns. First, the unpredictable Mr. Robert Hope, and second, uh, and by far the prettier of the two, uh, (laughs) Miss Lucille Ball. We will present this extraordinary team in their paramount picture riot, Fancy Pants. Now, Fancy Pants was adapted from the novel Ruggles of Red Gap by Harry Leon Wilson, and is a perfect vehicle for the talents of our versatile comedian, Bob Hope, and glamorous comedian... Lucille Ball. You know, I think the glamorous comedian is here to stay. 
No longer do our feminine comics wear frumpy clothes and funny makeups. They're chic, well-groomed, and just like our Lux girls, they guard their beauty with Lux toilet soap, which they know assures them the very best in complexion care. Now, Fancy Pants, starring Bob Hope as Humphrey and Lucille Ball as Aggie. It's England, 1905, and out in the countryside, a third-rate group of actors has just concluded another dismal performance. We're backstage now, and the cast is on its usual topic of discussion. That brilliant actor, Humphrey, the butler. I don't know where he came I can't stand anymore. Either that blundering monster Humphrey leaves the show, or I leave it. My dear woman, now don't blame me. I'm only the stage manager. Oh, what's the use? We're not even making expenses. I suggest we all leave the cast and go home. Oh, Humphrey will never go home. I know he won't. It's an American plot, I tell you, to ruin the entire British theatre. A little applause, please. I'm about to make my entrance. Halfway, idiot! Thank you, thank you. That'll do, please. That's enough remarks. There's no more room between my shoulder blades. You know, with a little concentration, I may become another Gromico. Blundering American idiot. Fiend. Dracula! I'm making a cat about the first water order to make the native land. Now, if you'll all keep quiet for just a moment, I've got some news for you. Yes, yes. What is it? It so happens that the young Earl of Brinstead was in the audience oh, tonight. Royalty. Yes, and not only that, but the Earl of Brinstead has a proposition to offer you. Oh, yes, now he's waiting in the office. Come along, all of you. Entire splendid cast, I presume. Now, let me warn you, Earl, we're the finest actors in the British Empire, and we're going to be real tough to deal with. Now, what's your proposition? Well, um... uh, We'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I recently have become acquainted with a rather intriguing young lady from America. Now, her mother is a nouveau riche, determined at all costs to inflict culture upon her daughter, Agatha. So, I have invited Miss Cloud and her mother to my country estate for the weekend to meet my family. Rather rash, eh, what? Since I have neither a state nor family. However, my friend Lord Twombley has lent me his home, and you, dear people of the theatre, shall enact the role of my family. On one condition, my lord, Humphrey stays here. Quiet, Ava. My lord? <laughs> my lord, there are members of this cast who are jealous of my sterling portrayals. I have played valets and gentlemen's gentlemen from Chicago to Liverpool, and the critics all say the same thing about my performance. Yeah, but how can they print that in the newspapers? Oh, he said there'd be plenty to eat and drink, a good fee, and she's spoiling it all. He talks like that ever since he got hold of a loaded crumpet. Well, those are my terms. Oh, give Humphrey another chance. After all, he is human. Well, practically. Oh, very well then. But keep him away from me. Don't wear your hair up, honey. It's the grouse shooting season. <laughs> well, it's all settled then. Yes, and we're off to the country. And I hope you have an elevator so the upstairs maid can have a fair share of me. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll send carriages for you the first thing in the morning. It'll be a lock for all of you. And for me, who knows? A rich wife, Miss Agatha Floud. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh, good afternoon, Mum. Peggy. Well? You got a curtsy. How many times did I tell you? Oh, Mom. Good afternoon. Your rap, Mum? I'll say. Bought it in St. Louis. Solid ermine. Oh, I'm the butler. Oh. Oh! <laughs> Thank you. I think so myself. His lordship awaits in the garden. If the two mums will just follow me. Aggie, what class? Wish we had something like that back home. Oh, Ma, somebody'd shoot him before we got him near the house. <laughs> My lord, direct from America, presenting Mrs. Floud and Miss Floud. Oh, so good to see you. Thank you, sir. Now, here are your guests. <laughs> Hi, Earl. Miss Agatha, Mrs. Floud, my family. This is my mother, Lady Brinstead. Flattered to meet you, Lady Brinstead. Charmed. Do it, Aggie. Charmed. My cousin Rosalind, Duchess of Dover. Charmed. How do you do? Aggie. Okay, Ma, okay. Howdy, Duchess. Howdy, <laughs> His Lordship, the 13th Duke of Brinstead, my father. Oh, imagine I looked in my boss's face. It's all about to be done. Hey, what's he trying to do to me? <laughs> Just kissing your hand, Miss Agatha. You'd think there was gravy on it. <laughs> you must forgive father's enthusiasm. Told him all about you, sir. You hear that, Aggie? The Earl told his pa all about you. And somebody ought to tell his mother all about his father. <laughs> well, I hope our guests find it relaxing here at Prince Ted Manor. Eh, Mama? Yes, indeed I do. Oh, beg pardon, my lord. Uh, yes, Humphrey? Your monocle is smudged. You've been breathing through your eyeballs again. <laughs> there you are. Anything else, my lord? Mustache wax, a touch of hair oil, perhaps? A whiff of stop it? <laughs> Stout fellow, Humphrey. But uh, that'll be all for now. Thank you. <laughs> Holy smoke! Why, that's more service than the hired man gives us in a month back in Big Squaw. Yeah, come on, let's get out of here. Shut up. You know, Earl, this is the first time I ever saw a real English butler. I saw one once in a play. You, were, you did? Yeah, I was in Cheyenne. Cheyenne, that was September 1902. <laughs> and we threw tomatoes at him. <laughs> Pelted him with ripe tomatoes. When I walked off the stage, the manager thought I was Red Skelton. <laughs> <laughs> Jolly good sport, I wager. Eh, <laughs> hey, Humphrey? Ham. And now, should I brew tea, my lady? Which kind should it be? What's the difference? Well, I can give you orange pico with a dash of lemon or lemon pico with a dash of orange. <laughs> then there's weak tea, or if you prefer extremely strong tea, keeps trying to batter its way out of the bag. I rather find the easy tea, rich roll and concoction in inclement weather, the Chinese importation is What do you say? Oh, he just said the rather fancy easy tea, rich roll and concoction in inclement weather, while Chinese importation has little to just roll. Mum. <laughs> That's telling her, Humphrey. Thank you. Your tea, Mum. May I slash it about for you, Mum? Please do. Tea time. Tea time. Jolly got a tea time. Uh, a tea for you, Mum. Of course. Careful, Humphrey. Watch that tray, my good man. Oh, but, my lady, you know I'm always. Whoops. Oh! Oh! 
Soaked to the skin all over me. Yes, quite a natural combination, Mum. Tea and lemon. Oh, oh you stupid blundering oaf. I told you his performance. Meter, would... meter, please. Well, just look at me. And what's this? Oh, it's just a slice of pumpernickel, Mum. <laughs> Dry out like new. It just needs pumping out, that's all. <laughs> Monster, you bore. How did you ever get to be such an idiot? Oh, just early to bed, early to rise. That's the answer, Mum. Well, don't stand there. I'm drenched. Do something. Yes, Mum, I'll fetch you some fresh tea, Mum. Humphrey. Psst. Over here, Humphrey. I want to chew the fat. So soon after tea, Mum? What do they pay you around here, Humphrey? Six quid, three bob, tuppence, halfpenny, a fortnight, Mum. How much is that? I don't know. I'm still trying to find out what a fortnight is. <laughs> well, how about a nice fat raise, Humphrey? Are you trying to lure me from the service of his lordship, Mum? Exactly. Impossible. My family's always buttled the Brinsteads. My father, my father's father, my father's 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 father. I could even go farther. <laughs> Listen, son, hanging around here ain't getting you nothing. Here, here's my card. Drop in at my hotel and we'll work out a deal. Double your salary. Don't tempt me, Mum. Money brings out the cad in me, and my cad is ready to get out. <laughs> well, meanwhile, just see that you keep out of the billiard room. The billiard room? Oh, I've been barred from the billiard room for life, Mum, for cheating. I won 50 pounds shooting pool with the Earl before he found out the terrible thing I'd done. The terrible thing you'd done? What was it? Oh, I can't tell you, Mum. What was it? Well, I soaked his pool cue in Jurgen's lotion. <laughs> He'd never have found out that someone started to play Song of India and it crawled into a basket. Well, Aggie's in there with his lordship. And he's alone. Who knows, Humphrey? Maybe he's going to propose. Gad, Mum. I trust the luscious Miss Floud knows what she's doing, Mum. Maybe she don't, but I do. Just imagine. An earl for a son-in-law. Hey, what are you doing, Humphrey? No, leave him be. I, I tell you, he's going to propose. Now then, Agatha, my dear, if, if, if you'll just give me your hand. Okay, here. <laughs> Thank you. You place the hand on the billiard cue. Vastly. Do you follow me? May I tell you something, dear Agatha? May I, may I tell you that I brought you in here just, just to be alone with you? Why? Because you're the most exciting girl I've ever met. If, if, if only I knew the right words. If only I knew what to do. May I be of service, my lord? <laughs> Sherry, my lady? Well, don't mind if I do. Sherry, my lord? No, nothing for me. Thank you, Humphrey. Scotch and soda, my lord? Nothing at all, thank you. You may run along now. Scotch and water, my lord? No, nothing, thank you. Soda and water, my lord? Nothing. Water over water? <laughs> scotch over ice, my lord? No, nothing, Humphrey. Scotch over scotch? Scotch over bourbon? That would be all, Humphrey. Thank you. Care to play musical glasses? <laughs> it's jolly well crazy, my lord. No, nothing. Shall I draw the blinds, my lord? Draw your bath? Draw your picture. Look, Humphrey, draw what... Draw whatever you like, but somewhere else, somewhere else. Yes, my lord. Or shall I chalk the mum's cue, my lord? Why don't we just give up until he winds down? <laughs> you heard his earlship. Hit the breeze and stop talking. Well, if mum feels that way about it, mum's the word, mum. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry, Agatha. Now, as I was saying... Oh, my darling, if, if you only... Announcing Sir Wembley, Mrs. Floud, Lady Margaret, Lady Rosalind, and Sarah, my lord. Oh, for heaven's sake. Lady Margaret, Mum, may I serve the punch bowl? You may serve the punch bowl, Humphrey. Fine, Mum, as soon as I return from the laundromat in the corner. I can't think of any place else to put the goldfish. <laughs> By the time you finish the punch, they'll be suds washed and rinsed three times. 
Hello, Aggie. Any news? Oh, lay off of me, will you, Ma? Well, you may not want his earlship, but I sure got a hankering for Humphrey. Ma! I tell you, Aggie, that Humphrey would make a real gentleman out of your paw. Take that home with us to Big Squaw? Well, why not? You got bats in your belfry. I don't care. I'm going to get that Humphrey for your paw somehow. If Lady Margaret had only fire him. Oh, Pa, just feed him to the pigs. Get over there and shoot your pool. I gotta think. How am I gonna do it? How? A little refreshment, Mom? Bavarian punch? Bavarian punch? A whiskey stirred with a Bavarian. <laughs> no, I don't want any. <laughs> well, Spike, Mom. Uh, a little punch, Mom? Why, thank you, Humphrey. Make you fit as a tiddly and ready to wink. <laughs> I'm I'm if here. If you spill so much as a single drop on me, I'll... Oh, oh but, Mom, I was bumped just as I was bending over to serve you, Mom. Someone cued me. Oh, get out! Get out! Oh, look at me. Look at me. You're fired, fired, do you hear? And don't ever come back. Not tonight, tomorrow, or ever. Just get out. Stop beating around the bush. Oh, Get out! I know, get out. I know, I know. Humphrey, double the salary, remember? For shame, Mum, stabbing me in the back. You know how ticklish I am through there. Who stabbed you? I just gave you a little push with the billiard cue. Well, you working for us now? Oh, big squall. You said it. We leave next week. Big squall. I'll pack me bags, Mom. Well, don't say it that way. What's the matter with Big Squaw? Oh, nothing, Mom. It's just that I hate the idea of living in a town that's named after Crosby. <laughs> I got him, Aggie. I got him. Humphrey's coming home with us. Ah, oh, Ma. In a few moments, we'll present Act Two of Fancy Pants. Now, here's Libby Collins, our Hollywood reporter, with the Lux Movie News of the Week. We're off to Mexico this week, John, to a gay, romantic Mexico setting for the Howard Hughes presentation, His Kind of Woman. That's the RKO picture starring Robert Mitchum as a gambler who goes straight and is forced to shoot it out with a tough gangster. And Jane Russell turns in some high comedy as an ex-band vocalist masquerading in high society. But she turns straight, too, and ends up in Mitchum's arms as his kind of woman. I hear Jane Russell wears absolutely dazzling costumes. But then Jane's a dazzler herself. She's a luxe girl, John. With a truly luxe lovely complexion. Yes, indeed. Jane Russell always depends on luxe soap care for her complexion. And she tells me she adores the big new bath size luxe. It makes her daily beauty bath so luxurious. So many screen stars say that, Libby. In fact... Bath size Lux is a favorite all over Hollywood and everywhere. The creamy lather is so abundant, even in hardest water. And I love the way it leaves my skin so fresh. Lux lovely all over. Yes, Lux soap's active lather makes you sure of daintiness, sure of charm. It has a delicate flower-like fragrance that really clings, really lasts. Tomorrow, get this satin-smooth bath cake that leaves skin Lux lovely all over. Nine out of ten screen stars... Use fragrant white Lux toilet soap. Now our producer, Mr. William Keeley. Act two of Fancy Pants, starring Bob Hope as Humphrey and Lucille Ball as Aggie. 
later, and our hero, Humphrey, his acting career blighted, has arrived at the Floud Mansion in Big Squaw, territory of New Mexico. Mrs. Floud is showing Humphrey around the house, while Aggie and her father... Oh, I sure missed you, daughter. I sure did. Say, how come you're all sunnied up on Tuesday? Oh, it's Ma, Pa. She's taken to finery like a hog takes to slop. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I wish I never found all them gold mines, Aggie, and got so doggone rich. And now that we got a butler... Oh, Aggie, I'm in a peck of trouble. And it's all his'n's fault, Humphreys. Well, he is kind of lame brain. First, your ma wrote me that some earl was making goo-goo eyes at you. Then she sends me a telegram that she's bringing home a gentleman's gentleman. So, naturally, I figured it's the same fella. Huh? Say that again, Pa. Aggie, I've told everybody in Big Squaw that you and Ma was bringing home a Earl. You told everybody? Oh! <laughs> hey, what am I laughing at? And now the whole town's fixing to welcome him proper. Gosh, when Ma finds out, what'll I do? You won't have to do, Pa. You're gonna be did. <laughs> hey! No wonder Cart Belknap was so mad. Cart Belknap? Yeah, I saw him down at the depot. Couldn't figure out what was eating him. Piece by piece. Toughest hombre and big squaw, and Cart's mighty sweet on you, Aggie. There goes your problem, Pa. Cart thinks there's something between me and Humphrey, huh? Well, suppose I let him keep on thinking. <laughs> Cart had cut out his liver and bile his gizzard in his own sauce, and after that he... Cheers, Pa. Here they come. Ma and him. Well, there he is, Humphrey. That there's Mr. Floud. Howdy. Howdy, sir. Now, let's get one thing straight, Humphrey. I take care of myself, see? Oh, that's quite obvious, sir. <laughs> In the house, I always go around in my shirt sleeves. Anything wrong with that? Oh, no, sir, nothing at all, sir. But wouldn't it be better if you wore a shirt with them? <laughs> Just a suggestion, of course. Don't let me rush you into anything. Humphrey, I want you to meet our hired help. Get in here, boys. This here's Wampum, our Indian foreman, and this is Wong, our Chinese cook. Boys, meet Humphrey. How de do? How de do? All right, Humphrey. You can start right now lecturing Mr. Floud. Humphrey, your first doorbell. Go on, see who it is. Thank you. All right, folks, all together now. Welcome to Big Squaw, Your Grace. Your Grace? What? Who, me? <laughs> Howdy, Mayor. So good to see you all, my dears. Come on in. Oh, Effie, you're so lucky. Congratulations, oh, Mrs. Flower. Oh, Humphrey, ain't he elegant? She calls him Humphrey, his first name right to his face. Oh, a real genuine earl. Oh, this certainly makes you the queen of Big Squaw's society, Effie. Me, queen? <laughs> Silly, isn't it? Oh, uh, <clears throat> your lordship, your tie. Let me fix it. I'll double your salary, double everything. Only don't let them know you're just the butler. Oh, oh, well, in that case is Humphrey, Earl of Brinstead. And on behalf of my hostess, allow me to welcome you all to Floud Manor. <laughs> oh, your lordship, it's two minutes past your tea time. How can you endure it? Sheer grit. <laughs> 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 Shall we tea off, then? <laughs> Ladies, please, if you line up in alphabetical order, you may breathe down my neck one at a time. Turn me so whippy, Effie. Oh, this is a fun group, isn't it? This way, your lordship. Hey, Wampum, bring off the tea. 
And don't forget the crumpets. What is crumpet? That's a bagel with a thyroid condition. <laughs> now tell me, Earl, how do the American women compare with your English women? Oh, I think your American women are much prettier. How about your horses? Oh, I think your American women are even prettier than our horses. <laughs> <laughs> never to enter a room without dropping a curtsy to Humphrey the Earl? Yeah, Ma, I know. Dear, dear Earl, what would Lady Maud say? No carnation in your buttonhole. Oh, I can't wear them, you know. It turns my medals green. <laughs> uh, carnation, ladies, here, you may shed it. Oh, Earl, please tell us about your medals. Yeah, some experience I could write up in the paper. Nothing doing, folks. His Earlship's kind of pooped. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Now, let me see. Which medal shall I explain first? Oh, yeah, I think it was my first year of service in Africa. I was a mere lieutenant at the time. Well, those native chaps were becoming very nasty, meant to wipe us out, you know. They were only waiting for the end of the monsoon. Monsoon, that's French for mister. (laughs) Thank you. Well, Colonel Chothergill drew me aside. It's three against a thousand, he muttered. We had to have reinforcements. No man could get through. The Earl was just a boy at the time. (laughs) No, I was 13, as I remember. Oh. <laughs> well, Colonel Jalligill, old spit and polish, we called him lovingly because he was always spitting and he was Polish. Well, sir. <laughs> there we were, three against a thousand. Oh, how horrible. Stimulating, though. Then Colonel Jalligill told us the worst of it. Stiff upper lip, he muttered, starching his mustache. You'll have to face it, chaps. There was no more tea. They'd cut off our Liptons. <laughs> Oh, they paid dearly for this. We'd sell our lives at a fearful price. But how to stop them? How to get out of it? How? Oh, oh. (laughs) There was no more time. They were storming the fort now. Three against a thousand, mind you. Oh, you're wonderful. Yes, there I was with a spear through my supple young body. (coughs) Didn't it hurt? Only when I laughed. Well, (laughs) I drew my cutlass. Start... (laughs) I drew it. I started to hew my way through them. Oh, well, if you dear peasants will excuse me, I hope... <laughs> if you'll excuse me, well, I, um, I always take a nap before Tiffin. But, Your Lordship, what happened? How did it end? Oh, the encounter. Well, we finally put them to rout, but we all agreed that they were three of the toughest rascals we'd ever fought. Cheerio! <laughs> Gad, what a performance. <laughs> saloon. Them two varmints, Aggie and Pa's over there in a saloon. It's a revolt. Oh, but Effie, one does not disturb an Earl this early, and the Earl is feeling very earlish this morning. Humphrey, in the weekly newspaper, you may be an Earl, and in front of my friends, you may be an Earl. But every payday, you're Humphrey the butler, and your job is Pa and Aggie. Oh, but Mrs. Floud, I simply... Humphrey! Yes, Mum, I'm on my way, Mum. Yellow Dog Saloon, Mum. Say, uh, can anybody get in, Mum, or just yellow dogs? Oh, cut that out. <laughs> just get down there and bring them back. Well, go on, Aggie. Tell me the rest of your big idea. Yeah, go ahead and tell them, Aggie. Honey. Well, boys, pardon me, 
he come down here because we knew as soon as Ma found out we was gone, she'd send Fancy Pants, that is the Earl, down here to get us. Only meantime... Yeah, only meantime, I sent word for Card Belknap to come over. So hang around, boys. Figure we might see something real interesting. <laughs> Aggie, Aggie, look. Look who's walking in. Fancy Pants. Come on in, Humphrey. Boys, I want you to meet our new boarder, the Earl of Brinstead. Earl, the boys of the Yellow Dog Saloon. Oh, how are you? Uh, no, no, don't get up. You'll muss up the sawdust. <laughs> uh, begging your pardon, young mum, but the maid has requested that you both return at once to the manor. What's wrong with our manners here? Ah, <laughs> oh, come on, Humphrey, sit down. Hey, Aggie, how about singing that song again for his earlship? Sure, Pa, why not? Hey, Sam, get over at the piano. Okay, Aggie. It's for you, Humphrey. Jolly decent of you, mum. Give it to him, daughter. You're a pussyfootin' critter When you see a gal, you skitter Hey, you! Fancy pants Oh, you dropped your purdy hanky Mama's gonna spank you Hey! Fauntleroy Women who crave men Wanna love cavemen Say, angel boy Show some grit That's what you gotta get Hey! Fancy pants You're a highfalutin' Afraid to take a gal and squeeze her. Hey, you! Fancy pants. Run to mama for protection. How's your stamp collection? Hey! Tenderfoot. Looking at us and stomping and cussing. What you scared about? Take a chance. If you're rootin' and tootin', folks will quit a hootin'. There goes fancy pants. Fancy ponce. Oh, I was just kidding, Humphrey. Now, why don't you tell the boys about the time you were in India? Oh, yes. By Jove, what a moment that was. In all India, I'd never come across a more ferocious beast. There it stood in the pitch black night, its immense size completely dwarfing the elephant I was riding. Oh, yeah? How could you tell how big it was in the dark? Cart. Oh, Humphrey, I, I want you to meet my boyfriend, Cart Belknap. Shake hands with his earlship. What are they, stranger? Oh, well... Any friend of Miss Agatha's is a friend of... What's the matter, stranger? Get up off the floor. Oh, that's fine. Western hospitality. You do that again and I'll report you to Spade Cooley. <laughs> well, jolly meeting you, sir, but I fear it's crumpet time. I must be jogging along. Stay where you are. Yeah, you were looking at the great big animal in the dark. I was? Oh, I was. Yes, yes, yes. Well, its white coat stood out, the largest polar bear I've ever seen. Must have been at least... Polar bears don't belong in India. Yeah, that's what I kept telling him. Well, he kept coming toward me. I kept retreating step by step. What happened to the big elephants you were riding? Well, he'd gone to Washington to get ready for 52. <laughs> well, there I was. I never dreamed of that. <laughs> Well, there I was, alone, unarmed, except for a spear that a friendly native had left lodged in my chest. Yeah, but it only hurt when you laughed. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I withdrew the spear, staggered back, weak from the loss of blood, and I, I, well, it's crumpet time. I better be jogging. You know what I would have done to that big old bear? I'd have twisted his neck. 
Like this. Oh, oh. And I'd have got him by the ears, and I'd have yanked him off. Like this. <laughs> I wish you'd have been there. It would have been very... And I'd have got me a couple of handfuls of fur, like this. And I'd have pulled him off. Pa, maybe we better stop Carl. Oh, he's just getting warmed up, daughter. And you know what I would have done next? Don't tell me. Let me guess. All right, go ahead and guess. Well, I guess you'd have taken your trusty revolver... Well... ...and hit him over the head like this. Ooh! Cheerio, chaps, I must whiz. Maggie, did you see what he did? Yeah, to Cart Belknap. Hey, Fancy Pants, wait for me! Now, just a minute, Mr. Mayor. Catch your wind and say that over again. It's true, Effie, it's true. President Teddy Roosevelt, he's making a tour through the Western Territory, so I sent him a telegram about the Earl, and he wired right back that he'd... He'd be delighted to come here. Land of Goshen, President Roosevelt. Of course, he can stay right here in the house with you, can't he, Effie? Here in my house? Oh, man. Well, i got to start organizing my committee. Goodbye, Effie. Mike, Aggie, where are you? Ah, what is it? President Teddy Roosevelt's coming here to see Humphrey. Huh? I'd have swore she said the president was coming here to see Humphrey. That's what I did say. <laughs> Effie, girl, you've been hitting the Applejack? <laughs> Well, what's he want to see Humphrey for? Because he thinks Humphrey's an earl. Where is he? Where's Humphrey? Who, Humphrey? I said, where is he? You better tell her, Aggie. Well, the last time I saw him, Ma, he was sort of heading out of town. Out of town? But he'll get lost in the desert. Well, all of a sudden, he got kind of lonesome for London. Oh, you too. I might have known you'd do something like that. Now, Ma, we can't you help him. You get a go on after him, and don't you come back here without him. Now get, get! I'm lost. Lost in this endless desert. Water, water. Anything that'll save my life. Water, a package of Chesterfields. <laughs> I'm going mad, I tell you, mad. The sand, the heat. I'm too young to die. Too young. Too handsome. <laughs> water, water. It's a mirage, I tell you, a mirage. We do our washing in that mirage every Monday morning. Oh, yeah? And who asked you to come chasing after me? I want to get out of this country. Well, I don't exactly blame you, Humphrey. Me and Pa were awful ugly, and Cart Belknap... Cart Belknap. Only a coward would hit a coward. <laughs> oh, he just snapped his twig, that's all. You see, Cart wants to marry me, and <laughs> I guess he got the silly idea that you and me were sweet on each other. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Preposterous. You're not even my type, Mum. <laughs> you know, it took a lot of nerve belting Cart Belknap over the head... That's why I figured you might have nerve enough to meet President Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, well, I've got just as much nerve as... Who? Well, everybody thinks you're a real Earl, so Teddy Roosevelt's coming to Big Squad just to meet you. Ha-ha! Well, you're gonna look pretty silly. And your ma and pa are gonna be looking silly. And this whole silly little town's gonna look silly. You'll have to change the name to Big Silly. <laughs> well, at that, it might be worse if you stayed. Imagine you trying to fool a president. Say, presidents can be fooled. They vote for themselves, don't they? (laughs) 
Besides, I made you think I was a butler. Well, that's easy. You are. Look, I've been waiting a long time to take some bows for my performance. I'm no Earl. I'm no butler. I'm not even Humphrey. Huh? My name is Arthur Tyler, and I'm an actor. Afra Agva and Sag. <laughs> and paid up. Actor? Gosh. Well, why did you pretend to be a butler? Because I was stranded in England. Flat broke. Gee, a real actor. Playing an English Earl for President Roosevelt. With me and Ma and Pa to applaud. Yeah, and I'd be the star. That's a step up. And an audience of three. That's a step up. <laughs> Besides, there's a lot of innocent people down in town dependent on you, Humphrey. I mean, Arthur. Innocent? How about Cart Belknap? Would you tell him we don't mean anything to each other so he'd stop trying to put my head in his trophy room? Well, sure. I'll, I'll tell him that we don't mean a thing to each other. Well, there's my horse, Humphrey. Let's get back to town. Ah, yes, the horse. I hope you don't mind riding double. Double, Mum? Wouldn't think of it. Oof, there we go. <laughs> Y'all set, Mum? Perfectly comfortable, Mum? Oh, sure. Let's go. And later on, if your feet start hurting, maybe you can ride the horse. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Humphrey. Not at all, not at all. Gee, President Roosevelt. A command performance. We accept the role, Mum, but for a one-night stand only. Then I must go on tour. What a handball. Wait till my agent hears about this. Yes, Mr. President. As Humphrey, Earl of Brinstead, I can assure you, sir. Oh, but of course, Mr. President, of course. In just a few moments, we'll return with Act Three of Fancy Pants. And now for my guest tonight, I have a young lady who's a charter member of Paramount's Golden Circle, Miss Joan Taylor. The circle means, Joan, that Paramount has high hopes you'll become a star. Well, I'm hoping, Mr. Keeley, and working like mad. But you already get your name in lights. You know, every time a picture you're in plays in Lake Forest, Illinois. Confidentially, that's because my father owns the theater. <laughs> and, and your mother danced in vaudeville. Yes, she was a headliner and started me on dancing lessons early. Well, Joan, dancing started many a screen beauty on her career. Look at Jane Wyman and Alexis Smith. We're playing opposite Bing Crosby and Francho Tone in Paramount Pictures' wonderful new comedy, Here Comes the Groom. I watched it being made, Mr. Keeley. What fun. What tangled romances. Being in love with Jane, Jane engaged to Francho. And Alexis, the glamour girl whose competition brings Jane back to Bing. Yes, if you'd like to laugh, don't miss Here Comes the Groom. And when you see lovely Jane Wyman and Alexis Smith... Notice the smooth beauty of their complexions. Both Jane and Alexis know how easy it is to be Lux lovely, Mr. Kennedy, and I agree with them. Lux soap facials really work wonders for my skin. You have a lovely complexion, Joan, and as you know, here's all there is to a Lux active lather facial. Cream the rich lather well into your skin, rinse thoroughly with warm water, then cold, and gently pat dry with a towel. It's the active lather that does the trick. Leaves skin softer and smoother. So discover how easy it is to be Lux Lovely. Get a supply of Hollywood's own beauty soap tomorrow. Nine out of ten screen stars use fragrant white Lux toilet soap. We pause now for station identification. This is the CBS Radio Network. The 
curtain rises on Act Three of Fancy Pants, starring Bob Hope as Humphrey and Lucille Ball as Aggie. The biggest day in the history of Big Squaw is at hand. In a couple of hours, President Teddy Roosevelt is arriving to pay his respects to the Earl of Brinstead. And now, at the Plowed Kitchen, excited preparations are underway. Yes, it's home cooking for the president. Oh, woe is me, what goes with me? I hate this living I've chose for me. Tired of eating misery. Should have never roamed and left that home cooking. Home cooking. Life is cruel, I was a fool to roam. Abroad and how I hoard them English critters they never thought. When the Duke says, Yes, my lord, partner, you can hear me out. Home cooking, home cooking. No fancy pants will stand a chance with me. With a porch light screen door banner from Niagara Falls. Green grass lawnmower, home sweet home up on the wall. That's home cooking. Home cooking, a quiet life is quite the life for me. Yes, give me that home cooking, home cooking, that's the life for me. Thank you, Margaret. <laughs> just the way it's embroidered on my shorts. <laughs> I've been practicing your royal sneer all morning. I'll soon be getting fan mail from Basil Rathbone. Oh, what a season this is. Oh, it's probably just Carrie with her potato salad. Lay off the doorbell, honey. I'm coming. Come in, Carrie. We'll... Oh. Mrs. Cloud, how do you do? Oh. Fainted. Pick her up, Bennett, and bring her in. Yes, sir. That's the trouble with these surprise visits, Mr. President. Oh, here, here now. What's the miss, you chaps? She fainted. Oh, well, you see, President Roosevelt's coming, and everyone is simply... <laughs> well? Aggie! Oh, oh, Aggie is the president! Huh? Well, so it is. I'm Mike Floud, Mr. President. This here's my daughter, Aggie. How do you do? And this here's the Earl of Brinstead. Oh, pleased to meet you. Any president of pause is a president of mine. How do you... <laughs> How'd you do? Delighted. And this gentleman is Mr. Bennett, Secret Service, you know. Oh, yes, of course. And down here is our hostess, Mrs. Effie Flower. <laughs> Ma, wake up, Ma. Uh, I'm sorry I dropped in so unexpectedly, Mrs. Flower, but I've listened to so many speeches of welcome, I was hoping to avoid the one at your depot. Aggie, you take the president in the parlor till we get things fixed up in the kitchen. Uh, personally, I'd like to go in the kitchen with you. You mean it? I make a steak sauce that is very popular in Washington. You do? Extraordinary. Back to the kitchen, everybody. Delighted. Bully for you. And to think I almost voted for Brian. <laughs> I say this is a ginger group, isn't it? Oh. 
about my steak sauce. Now, who wants a taste? Gee, sure looks good, don't it? I still think it needs a little more cooking, Sherry. Paul. Well, perhaps another dash of Sherry wouldn't hurt. Oh, nonsense, Your Honor. And you keep your nose out of the president's recipe. Doggone it, Effie. There was plenty of Sherry in your cooking before we got married. Why, Mike Flout, are you insinuating that... Gee, Ma, if you'd use stronger Sherry, I bet I'd be two years older. <laughs> on his vacation. Do you want him to think he's back with Congress? <laughs> Bully for you, Brinstead. Now, tell me, what is the attitude of England regarding the Mediterranean situation? Oh, yes. Well, frankly, there are two schools of thought, pro and con. Well, of course. <laughs> but uh, just uh, how do you feel about it, pro and con? Well, the pro people seem to be for it, and the con group are definitely against it. <laughs> definitely, sir. Uh, but you, Brinstead, uh, just uh, what stand do you take? Oh, me? Well, uh, yeah, well, I'm pro. Pro? Mm -hmm. How can you endorse a situation like that? Oh, well, what I mean is I'm pro-con. I'm for those who are against it, you see. <laughs> no, I don't, but... Uh, Effie, Mina, uh, where are you? It's the mayor. The train came in, but he wasn't even on it. He didn't even... Jumping Jehoshaphat, President Roosevelt. He's here, folks. He's here. Mr. President, as mayor of Big Squaw, permit me to welcome you to our fair city. And in honor of this... Oh, bravo. Excellent speech, Mr. Mayor. Brief but meaty. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you all. But I've got a whole lot more to say. That's all right. You can mail it in later, Mayor. Well, thank you. Well, everybody get a plate and pitch right into it's the middle. It's free, you know. Everything's free. I want you to try some of the venison, Mr. President. Aggie here shot at herself. Bully yeah. for you, ma'am. If only I had time, I'd do some hunting. Oh, what we ought to have is a fox hunt. Oh, yes, they're fun, especially if the fox is riding a fast horse. <laughs> Over hill and dale, yikes and away, all that sort of tittle. Blasted shame you have to be pushing off, Mr. President. After all, I do have a schedule. Bad show. Disappointing to the hounds, you know. Why, Dad, we won't disappoint the Brinstead. Oh, Bennett. Yes, uh, sir. Uh, we're staying over. Oh, See about the train. What? Yes, Mr. President. And you, Brinstead, you shall lead the hunt. Me? Tomorrow morning. Oh, but I... We'll spend the whole day on horseback. <laughs> the whole day on horseback? I may find a new place to put my Dr. Show's foot pads. <laughs> I don't care what time of night it is, Humphrey. You and me are staying here in the corral until you learn to ride a horse. Now, this is tougher on me than it is on you. Yeah, but not in the same place. <laughs> Let's face it, Aggie, I can't even ride a jackass, even after all those road pictures we made together. <laughs> that goes with here comes the groom, doesn't it? I can stay on a horse. I can stay on a horse when he walks, I think, but I can't go out there riding in any fox hunt. Playing an earl was easy, but all I ever hunted was a job. Well, I ain't asking you to ride just for Big Squaw or for Pa or Ma. It's for me, Humphrey. Me? I mean you? <laughs> the first time I saw you, I said to myself, here's a dirty, low-down, lily-livered coyote. <laughs> then, as I got to know you better, I figured you for a filthy, sneaking rat. <laughs> Yeah, I grow on people like that. But then again, you remind me of a little old chipmunk I had when I was a kid. 
only thing I ever loved. Same look in the eye as you got. <laughs> I'll never forget how he looked at me just before he went west. California? Dead. Smog poisoning, huh? <laughs> Clark Belknap shot him. Hey, did you ever tell Clark Belknap that we didn't mean a thing to each other? Well, not yet, Humphrey, but I was fixing to. Well, don't. Huh? Well, I don't like my women to be lying. You mean you aren't running out on us? Nothing's going to stop me now. Maybe not even a horse. Oh, Humphrey, would you kiss me? Nobody will see. It's dark out here. <laughs> Gee, that was swell. Yeah. He's a very affectionate horse. Now it's my turn. <laughs> this fox on bully. Well, may not be exactly like England, Mr. President, but the fox will never know the difference. Oh, here comes Brinstead. Tally-ho, pip-pip, everyone. Top of the morning, Your Excellency. Thank you, Brinstead. Splendid day for the... Brinstead, why, you're limping. Yeah, what you doing with that cane? Oh, this? Well, I couldn't find a crutch. I looked all over. Crutch? <laughs> Good heavens, man. Oh, it just happened, you know, about to leap on my horse when my old leg injury hit me again, just like that. Old leg injury? Yes, I got it playing rugby at Oxford. I kicked a rug too hard. <laughs> Kept me off the crew, you know. I was a four-letter man. Yeah, and I can spell it. <laughs> well, we can't have the hunt without you. Guess we'll have to call it off. Oh, nothing of the sort. Tradition. Oh, no, I'll be all right. Old fellow, whomp him, old boy. Oh. Just bring my beast over here and have her lie down. I shall get aboard somehow. <laughs> oh, oh, Brinstead, oh. you can't possibly ride. Oh, I'll suffer through prayers. Nothing stops the Brinstead. Excelsior! Your family motto? No, somebody fetch some. I'll put it in my pants. <laughs> you can't ride. President's orders. Oh, well, I guess I'm outvoted then. Rum luck, eh? Better take my horse along, though. This could give her an inferiority complex. She wouldn't be able to hold up her tail among the other horses. <laughs> well, buzz off without me, you lucky people. Mount up, you all. Have fun. I'll just sit here till you and the pain go away. Well, folks, I guess we're all ready then. Yeah, you might as well start us off, your earlship. Get on your mark. I mean, <laughs> trump the trumpets. <laughs> Must have a date with another fox. <laughs> Unbound the hounds! Yikes away! Wampum. Oh. I shall be in my room. Be a good fellow and buzz me when you hear them returning. Oh, hey, all of a sudden you walk pretty good. Here's a buck, Buck. <laughs> How do I walk now? Keep back. Keep back. Remind me to autograph a feather for you. Come on in, your lordship. Belknap. I've been waiting for you. Clark Belknap. Sorry about your bum leg, your lordship. You do ride, don't you? Ride, my dear fellow? I was born in the saddle. Mama got a bad break with the traffic lights. <laughs> That's very funny. Now, let's see you laugh your way out of this one, Mr. Tyler. Tyler? Who's Tyler? You are. I've been looking around your room, and I found this. Put down that scrapbook. You're wrinkling the lace. Put it down. You heard me. Put down that scrapbook. Put it down, I say. Why should I put it down? So you can help me pick up my teeth. Shut up. Full of newspaper clippings, ain't it? Like this, for instance. Arthur Tyler, an American and an actor, but not a very good one. Well, I was a British critic, and they didn't like American actors then. That was before the loan. 
But look at here. Says Arthur Tyler gives a standout performance. Only that ain't all it says. He stands out as probably the worst performer who ever... Oh, you admit you're Tyler, huh? Oh, of course not. I'm Humphrey, Earl of Brinstead, Pip-Pip, Talion, all that sort of there, though. Then what's his scrapbook doing under your pillow? Well, I, I like to sleep with my head high. You know, the president and the whole town's gonna be real upset when they find out how you and them flouds try to make fools out of them. Oh, but Mr. Belknap, surely you're not gonna tell him about it. I mean, not so much for me, but for the flouds. They're such nice people. Especially Aggie? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I wouldn't miss this for a million bucks. Well, cheerio, Mr. Tyler. I'll put a real good finish in your scrapbook for you. Your funeral notice. You can't do it. You're not going out of this room with that scrapbook. Oh, no? No! So long, Humphrey. I'll unlock the door as soon as they get back from their fox hunt. Oh, Humphrey, this is terrible. Cart Belknap knows you're just an actor? Yeah, he found my scrapbook. Where is he? Where'd he go? Well, Cart just left. You know the president's got to catch that train. They're all down at the depot now, waiting for you. Yeah, then what are we doing here? No. No, I can't go down there. Belknap's got my scrapbook. He's going to tell everybody that I'm... Not if we get there first, he won't, and I know a shortcut. He'll beat me up again. He'll tear me to pieces. Who cares, as long as the president is gone by then? Yeah, who cares? What are you, a salesman for the Blue Cross plan? <laughs> oh, my leg. Oh, my old injury. My war wounds. Humphrey, this is Aggie. Yeah, that's right. Gee, you're pretty. Come on, Humphrey. We're going down to the depot. <laughs> How good of you to see me off But what happened to you? Well, I was determined to reach the train before you left, sir But I fell down twice for every time I got up Bad leg, you know, sir it Starts at my hip and goes all the way to the floor You shouldn't have attempted it The condition you're in Well, you should see the condition I'll be in Oh, but don't worry about me Splendid hunt, I hear I wish I'd been there Perhaps we'll hunt together sometime when you come across the big pond Delighted, Vincent Bully of you, bully I have put on a little weight <laughs> All right, Miss Bennett You can start the train Yes, sir Stop the train! No! No, wait, Mr. President! You and this whole town ought to know what the flowers and that fake girl's trying to put over on you. What are you talking about, Belknap? Why, he's just a cheap little actor. What's this? The most humiliating thing I... Why, I shall return immediately to he's England. He's a fake. I sh In this book, I gotta prove it. Give me that book. Come back here. Stop him, somebody. Stop it. So long, Aggie. So long, Paul. So long, Effie. I'm lost. Lost in this endless desert. Water, water, I'm going mad, I tell you. Mad. No, no, they'll follow your tracks. You lead them to me. I want to die alone, alone and healthy in this frightful desert. Oh, relax, will you, Humphrey? The president's gone, and as for Cart Belknap, well, I told everybody the truth. When they like somebody in these parts, they don't care if he's a butler or a horse thief, or even if he's an actor. They want you to come back, Humphrey. So do I. Gee, Haggy, if you'll be Lady Brinstead, I mean, if you'll be Mrs. Humphrey Higgins... No, I mean, if uh, Mrs. Arthur Tyler, you'll make me the three happiest men in the world. Oh, Humphrey, darling. Of course I'll marry you. Oh, it'll be wonderful, Aggie. We'll settle down, and after the first year, we'll hear the patter of little feet. Yes, and after the second year, we'll hear the patter of more little feet. Yeah, and Aggie, uh, about the third year... Yes? The third year, let's have a baby. I'm tired of feet. <laughs> Thank you.
just a few moments, we want you to meet our stars in person. And Mr. Keeley will tell you all about next week's show. But now, here's Libby Collins with a big piece of news for you. You mean, John, with a big question for everyone. A question? Yes. Who is the lovely Lux girl? Or perhaps I should put it this way. Can you identify the portrait of the Lux lovely Hollywood star whose eyes are masked out? Her picture's appearing in newspapers all over the country. On posters, in grocery stores, everywhere. Oh, she's the mystery star in the Big Lux Girl contest. And it is a big contest. $60,000 worth of prizes. Why, the first prize is $5,000 cash, plus a Ford Victoria sedan. And there are hundreds of other prizes. Ten Ford Custom V8 two-door sedans. 214-carat gold diamond boulevard watches. $10,000 in additional cash prizes. Over 1,200 opportunities to win. And it's such fun to enter, because first you look at the picture of the lovely Lux girl you'll see at your grocery store, and right on the poster is a clue to help you. She's the star of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Too Young to Kiss. That makes it easy for everyone to identify her. Now comes more fun in your entry. You complete the last line of a jingle, and here's the jingle. June is her name, the last is da-da-da. That's where you fill in the star's name. I'll repeat it. June is her name, the last is da-da-da. Her lovely skin's beyond comparison. Her beauty soap's the one for me. You write a last line to rhyme with me. There are lots of things you know to write about Lux soap to help you write that last line of the jingle. For instance, Lux is Hollywood's own beauty soap. It has active lather that leaves skin softer, smoother. And Lux soap's delicate perfume clings, leaves skin sweet and fresh. Nine out of ten screen stars are Lux girls. So go ahead, enter this big Who Is This Lovely Lux Girl contest right away. Get the entry blank at your grocer's tomorrow. It gives you all the rules, the jingle, and the address. Send in as many entries as you wish, but with each entry, attach two Lux toilet soap wrappers, either regular or bath size. Remember, there's $60,000 in prizes waiting for winning last lines. Yours may be worth $5,000 cash and a Ford Victoria sedan. Now, here's Mr. Keeley with our stars. And here they are for a curtain call. Bob Hope and Lucille Ball. <laughs> Lucille, Bob, we want to thank you doubly for making us forget our troubles for an hour. Always nothing at all, Bill. Always glad to do a benefit. This wasn't a benefit. This is the Lux Radio Theater. Well, it was a benefit for me. After all, how much Lux soap can I eat? <laughs> but, Bob, they pay me money, and then I buy my own Lux soap. It's cheaper that way. How do you like it? Crosby told me he saved the rappers and sent Gary to college. <laughs> Why, Bob, you don't need any more money with all those successful pictures you make for Paramount. Yeah, what's the title of your new picture, Bob? The one you made with Hedy Lamar? My Favorite Spy. Oh, that's the picture Bob's fans are writing him about. His fans? You mean his relatives. <laughs> Hold it, Lucy. Yes, they write in, but it's different from your Lux Girl contest, Bill. Anyone anywhere in the world has a chance to have the world premiere of The Favorite Spy right in their own living room. And guess who'll be their guest for dinner? I knew you'd try for a free meal somewhere along the line. <laughs> Seriously, Bob, that sounds like a wonderful idea. I'd like to enter myself. I'd rather enter the Lux Girl contest because I am a Lux Girl. It's my favorite complexion care. Well, if you want to enter this contest, you write me to Bob Hope Contest, Hollywood 38, and tell me why you think the world premiere should be held in your home. 
The person who gives the best reasons will find me and the picture parked in their living room with all the trimmings of a big Hollywood premiere and a few publicity men. That'll make uh, three of me, all told, because naturally with my personality, I play a dual role in the picture. Can you imagine seeing a movie with two Bob Hopes in it? How about Lux Radio Theater next week, Bill? Well, it'll be another Paramount picture with a very famous title. One of the top dramatic successes of last season, Sunset Boulevard. And from the original cast, we have the two stars, glamorous Gloria Swanson and that talented actor, William Holden. Co-starring with them will be one of Paramount's Golden Circle players, Nancy Gates. A terrific combination and a terrific picture, Bill. Good night. Good night. Good night. You are both great. Have you ever been embarrassed by a stocking run just when you wanted to look your best? Then take a tip from Hollywood screen stars. Wash your nylons the Lux way. You'll cut needless runs in half. The Lux way makes nylons last twice as long. Fit better, too. Strain tests prove it. No other soap, no suds of any kind can make stockings last longer. Over 90% of the makers of stockings recommend Lux. New Lux with color freshener keeps stocking colors clearer, too. Get a big box tomorrow. Keep Lux in the bathroom for everything you wash by hand. Give all your washables that nicest new Lux look. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lex Radio Theater presents Gloria Swanson, William Holden, and Nancy Gates in Sunset Boulevard. This is William Keeley saying good night to you from Hollywood. This is the CBS Radio Network. That was Lux Radio Theater, Bob Hope and Fancy Pants from uh, September the 10th, 1951, I believe. Uh, the batteries on our little microphone thing here are getting pretty low. So, I think we're going to have to say goodbye for now. But, um, good news, we did find our way. We have pulled up to a motel for the night. And, uh, looks like uh, our little uh, our little mishap earlier. Things have, things have really turned around for us. Oh, hey, McLean, you get a room? Um, not exactly. Uh, not exactly. Uh, no. Uh, no, I did not, is what I mean. I did not. There was no vacancy. Well, it looks like we're camping out in the middle of the desert again tonight, McLean. Where's the tent? It is in the back, next to the hatch. But you feel pretty silly for throwing out that hatch earlier. Saved your life yeah. back there when we were stuck in Tukumkari. Yeah, that was like a 45 minutes, Jake. Yeah, but imagine if it had been longer. You would have gotten so hungry. We were like two miles away from a Burger King. See you next time, folks. Shut that microphone off. Come on, shut the tent up with me. I'm sorry.